Well, the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman is minus John Heyman this week. Uh, John's not feeling well. Uh, he'll be back with us next week. Uh, I'm glad that I will not be doing this completely solo. Matt Arnold, the general manager of the Brewers, will join us. I'll have some thoughts on the Yankees and what Hal Steinbrenner said recently about a deep dive. We'll play some hit and error at the end about the pennant races that are going on. That's if you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So once I uh, knew that uh, my colleague, my friend, John Heyman, uh, the co-pilot of this show was under the weather and I was going to go by myself, I was thinking, what, what do I want to talk about at the beginning of the show? I'm bouncing ideas through my head, whatever. And I kept coming back to three items. And I wonder if I have the ability to see if I could tie them all together in a nice bow for you. So I'm going to attempt to do it. The, th the three items are essentially this. How, how Steinbrenner recently told the Associated Press that he plans a very deep dive uh, this offseason to get to the bottom of a season that just a few weeks ago, his general manager, Brian Cashman, called a disaster. That's one. Number two, the Yankees just swept the Astros over the weekend in Houston. And number three is the Yankees are celebrating Old Timers Day on Saturday. Uh, they're going to really focus on the 25th anniversary of the great 1998 team. And so let, let's see if I could find a way to do this. Uh, so let's start with uh, Hal Steinbrenner saying he's going to take that very, very deep dive. Look, I know the circumstances this was done under. It was outside uh, the stadium named for his father in Tampa Bay. I know him. I know the reporter. And uh, essentially, this is falls into that category of like when uh, an organization says it's doing its due diligence or will comment uh, later, but there's an investigation going on now. We're not going to comment. It's all just for want of a better term. I'm sorry, I'm going to use it. Bullshit, right? Like it's something said to make people go away. The reporters stop asking questions uh, because trust me, uh, the team didn't do its due diligence and they're not going to comment once the investigation's done. And Hal Steinbrenner has said some version of this every year. E you know, even when the Yankees make the playoffs, when they're eliminated, they're always going to do a deep dive. And what comes back is the same group of players making this, uh, you know, the same decisions in his front office as ever. And, uh, you know, does he have the temerity to actually do this? Which brings us to number two, which is that the Yankees just swept the Astros in Houston. And, you know, it's about as good as they felt all season as a team. And when you think about it, it's 
natural. There is, it isn't the Red Sox anymore. It's nobody in the ALEs. Their nemesis is the Astros. Uh, it's the team that's knocked them out of the playoffs four times since 2015 and the ALCS three times in the last five, six years. Uh, and they did it with a bunch of young players. And there's kind of nothing that makes fan groups feel better than seeing players come up from the farm system, the promise of tomorrow and all that. And look, I, I don't want to talk about small sample sizes, whatever, but we do have to take a little bit of a deep breath and a reality check. First reality check. The Yankees are 68 and 69 as we're doing this. Fangraphs gives them a point three chance of making the playoffs. 0.3 of 1%, right? So it's 99.7. We could have a baseball miracle here. Things have happened. But if this baseball miracle happens and these Yankees are even the third wild card this year, it's going to make 1978 look like nothing when they track down the Red Sox because they have a long way and a lot of teams to jump. So I think it's important that Hal Steinbrenner is not deterred by a good month here, right? Even if it's one of those ones that gets them over 500 for the 31st uh, season in a row, it's something that they could sell. It will all feel kind of like cosmetic to me because the bigger issue is from mid-season 2022 until through August 2023, the Yankees were at best a mediocre team. It was cosmetically covered up last year by Aaron Judge's home run chase, which everyone went on that ride, and included in that ride is he carried them to the AL East title. The Yankees got in the playoffs again. They've done it every year on the Boone. And so it kind of the blemishes were covered up a little bit. But it's now another five months of bad baseball this season. And I just don't think the Yankees could allow themselves to finish 84 and 78 if the month goes really well, you know, make a little bit of a run here. Uh, the young players play well for the month. And then everybody is saying, well, you know, it really is a freak injury. Judge running into a wall, Anthony Rizzo getting his head run into by Fernando Tatis Jr. Wouldn't it have all gone better this season if something freak like that wasn't happening? Everyone's back again next season, kumbaya, et cetera. I, I, look, I don't want to be a Debbie Downey here. Uh, if it's the most outrageous postseason chase ever and they get in and these young players play great, we'll sell a lot of newspapers. I'm a big egomaniac. You know, people will read me great. But again, the realist has to point out, like Shane Spencer, September 1998, Looked like he was going to be a great home run hitter. It's September. No month could fool you like this, which brings me to kind of 1998 and the maybe the greatest team ever, the 125-win Yankees of that season. And look, there are a ton of reasons why that team was a dynasty. Uh, Stick Michael made great, great trades. Buck Showalter helped change the culture. He handed that off to Joe Torre whose ability to bring calm in a storm was invaluable for it. But let's not overcomplicate it. The Yankees were a dynasty in that era because they brought five players from their farm system up to the majors who were great. Two no-brainer Hall of Famers in Derek Jeter and Mariano Rivera and three borderline guys in Andy Pettit, Jorge Posada, and Bernie Williams. Think about if you were building a team where you would start. We're talking about one of the best shortstops ever, the best closer ever, 
a high-end left-handed starter and switch hitting catchers and center fielder who could had patience and power from both sides of the plate. It doesn't take a lot to create a winner out of that. And the Yankees had that. And I'm here to tell you, it was a baseball miracle. It's never happening again. It's a miracle it happened the first time. Here's a couple of examples. Jeter was the sixth pick in the draft in 1992. Of the five teams that drafted in front of the Yankees, three had Jeter number one on their board and didn't take him for a variety of reasons. The Mariano Rivera was seen by a scout who was going to look at somebody else. And it was this rare day where Rivera, who played the infield, pitched because the pitcher wasn't there that day. Otherwise, he doesn't end up a Yankee. Every one of these stories is that way. It, it led to uh, a team three-feeding. And, and Yankee fans, like, this isn't happening again. You know why? It's just not going to happen in baseball history again. We haven't seen it. That team three-peated. We haven't even seen a team repeat in the last quarter century. It's hard to do because the idea that you're going to get that kind of group of talent at one time – all of it, but Bernie Williams performed superbly from like the day they showed up in the major leagues. So, you know, forgive me if I'm going to kind of like step back a little bit and say, what do the Yankees have in this young talent that it has everybody so excited now? Don't be myopic as a fan. All non-contenders are bringing up their prospects and all fan bases believe this is the key to tomorrow. But the Yankees sold this in 2016 and 17 and 18 with the baby bombers. What do they have to show for it? Aaron Judge. It's a pretty great piece to show for it. A piece of Glaber Torres, not quite as good as it as they had hoped. And then nothing else. Do we believe that this group of people who run the Yankees are going to now haven't been able to do this? You know, like that group didn't do it. They spent a ton on the international market about 10 years ago went over the penalties. None of those guys are in the major leagues. They signed 10 of the top 30 prospects in 2013 in the international market. None of them have played in the major leagues one inning this year. Not one of them, right? Their farm system, like, like is Anthony Volpe, what version of Jeter is he going to be? Dominguez is a switch hitting outfielder. What version of Bernie Williams? Uh, Austin Wells is a hit first catcher like Basado. What version of that? I mean, maybe it will be good, but... Everyone is bringing players up now. MLB.com not long ago did its top 100 again. I believe they did it in early August after the second half of the season started. Dominguez was prospect 76. Everson Pereira was prospect 77. These lists aren't infallible, but they're generally unbiased. It's not like they're going to be pro-Yankee or anti-Yankee. They were looked at as back end of the top 100 prospects. It isn't like Jackson Holiday who's number one, and the Yankees are going to have to deal with him and the Orioles for a long time, or Adley Rushman, and I get it. Those two guys were high first-round draft choices. The Yankees don't have access to it, which is why when they do have a chance to blow away the international field on someone like Dominguez, they might, they, this one has to be right. This one has to be right. So I think Dominguez is as important of a figure for them moving forward as anyone because that year, they had $5.4 million to spend in the international pool. They spent $5.1 on Dominguez, the Martian, and now he's here. Switch hitting guy with some power and patience. It has the profile of Bernie Williams. How close he gets to Bernie Williams may say a lot about the future. 
But Hal Steinbrenner shouldn't completely give in, even if this month is a brilliant month for Dominguez, September Fools, and the Yankees, September Fools. What doesn't fool is the last 200 games before this September, the Yankees were mediocre. He really does have to do that deep dive. He really does have to be honest about what this group is and who should be leading it department to department moving forward. We'll be back with Matt Arnold, the general manager of the Brewers, right after this. We're back on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman, and I'm very pleased to be joined by the general manager of the first place uh, Milwaukee Brewers as we're speaking here. Uh, Matt Arnold uh, is uh, joining us, has been with the Brewers since 2015, has been their general manager since 2020, and has been completely in charge of the operation uh, since David Stern stepped down uh, from his position. And uh, first of all, Matt, thank you for joining us. Uh, look, I... I looked at your 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 history as an organization. Uh, you're about to make the playoffs uh, for a fifth time in six years. Previous to that, from Seattle Pilots 1969 forward, the organization had made the playoffs four times in total. You guys are not doing this with a gigantic payroll. You're you're doing it by moving a lot of chess pieces around every year. What's the secret sauce of the Milwaukee Brewers that you're able to be this good, this consistently? Yeah, thank you, Joel. That's very kind of you. I mean, we, we still have work to do to, to get in the playoffs this year, so we're certainly not assuming anything there. But I, I think globally, just, you know, I, I think it speaks to the people that we have here. We have a tremendous staff working with Craig and, and our ownership, Mark Atanasio, the support we have from him um, is it, just really incredible. And so just to have this kind of culture that we've had in this, and to sustain this kind of success, it's just a credit to to everybody here, our staff, our coaches, our players. Uh, everybody deserves credit for it. You know, Matt, obviously you came from, uh, you, you worked for several organizations starting, I believe you were an intern with the Dodgers uh, going back to your Santa Barbara days uh, in college, Rangers, Reds. Rays, though, you were there for a while. Uh, and you brought, I have to assume you brought some of that with you uh, to the Brewers uh, because they're clearly a secret sauce team. You don't see it if you just look at, at the roster. What what are the influences there? What were what have you been able to bring to be able to see the value of a player beyond a flashy name? Yeah, I, I learned a ton from the, the guys down there. I think it started with Andrew Friedman, um, you know, Matt Silverman, the, the group down there, and then obviously being in the same room with guys like Heim Bloom and Eric Neander, James Click. Um, we had Sam Fold as a player there. Rocco Baldelli was on our staff. You know, just soaking up everybody's knowledge there for me as a sponge was just incredible. So I, I learned a ton from that group. Uh, certainly, we've brought elements uh, of the Rays over to over here, and I think a lot of people uh, from other organizations that have joined us have have brought their their ingredients as well, and and we've kind of made it our own. You know, I think that's something that uh, is unique to the Brewers, and and certainly was fortunate to work with a lot of those guys and be able to just uh, build on that here in Milwaukee. You know, one of the keys to this year—it's so interesting to me, Matt. It feels like. Cody Bellinger and Christian Yelich have been on the same trajectory in the career, in their careers, right? In 2018 and 19, they're the two best players in the National League. They flip-flop MVP awards. The last three seasons hadn't gone as well for those two players. And then this year, 
Bellinger's playing great and Yelich has taken a, a, you know, a step. Is he as good as 18, 19? Well, he might have been the best player in the game then. So it doesn't look like that, but it's certainly better. Have you come to peace with what happened in the three years where Yelich wasn't quite as good? And why has he kind of reestablished himself as one of the better players this year? Yeah, I'm not sure there's anything you know specific I could point to. I, w- I would probably say just just health. Honestly, I think he's somebody that has uh, has overcome a lot with his back, with his knee. Obviously, shattering his kneecap is a is a massive injury to a player like that that works with speed uh, and movement, uh, you know, in his swing. And so I think a guy that that develops um, his kind of power through his 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 body, honestly, and the way it works, is something that he's had to overcome and it's a huge credit to him. I I don't know if there's anything he's necessarily tweaked. I think he's just healthy and and feels great. And and he's been a tremendous player for us again this year. And, you know, it's certainly hard to live up to the standards you you have when you're the best player in the world, honestly. I mean, he was uh, at one point the best player in the world and he's still one of the best players in the world, you know, and we've seen that this year and I'm certainly proud of, proud of him uh, and what he's accomplished this year. You know, as part of that secret sauce I was talking about earlier, you made a couple of trades at the deadline. Carlos Santana has helped bring a little more power to your group. And I'm sure to our general listening audience, Mark Hanna has come over and he's performed really well for you. He's hit almost 300 uh, with, with an 845 OPS. It's only 29 games he's helped you. I wonder, can you take us behind the scenes a little? What what did you like about him? Uh, how did the trade go down? And, and just as important, can you Give Met fans an idea. What did they get in uh, Justin Jarvis? Yeah, I've I've known Billy Epler a long time, working alongside him in the American League East, going back to the days in uh, in Tampa, and and he was sort of a a, a combative you know guy for us, and we never really um, you know we always fought against each other. I think for a long time, but I respected him very much and and have a good relationship with him, and he's easy to work with. Uh, and so when we had this conversation and we were looking for this type of profile. Um, you know, it came, it came about, I think very naturally, um, we were looking to, to add offense, uh, for a guy that was experienced and, and potentially right-handed that, that could, uh, augment our, our offense against left-handed pitching. Uh, but he's done it against both sides, you know, and, and Canna had a great reputation. He had actually played in the minor leagues with Christian Yelich. So we had some history there with him, uh, on our team going back to when they were together in Miami. So, um, to have that kind of veteran presence in our lineup, to stretch our lineup a little bit with some veteran experience, kind of like like you said with both Santana and Canna, was something that we were uh, we were excited to add at the deadline. Um, and then with respect to Jarvis, look, he's a he's a really talented arm, really quick arm, very athletic. Um, you know, good fastball, uh, performed very well this year in Double A before he was promoted. And so, you know, anytime you 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 acquire a, a good player you have to give up a good player and we certainly like just justin jarvis uh, but felt like we it was something we had to do to to access somebody like mark Hanna. you know last year at the deadline you made a controversial trade right by trading josh Hader at the uh at the deadline look it's it's one of these things sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't the mariners traded paul seawald this year and they've kind of thrived since they traded him uh i don't want you to relive and relitigate trading hater. You've certainly done it a lot publicly. I wonder though, lessons learned from it. Is there anything valuable to doing what you did, which was to trade your closer? I mean, Devin Williams has stepped in and been great, uh, but it fell apart last year. Guys in your clubhouse clearly weren't happy with it. What's the lesson learned for someone who's obviously going to be an executive for a long time in the sport? 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of lessons learned. Honestly, I, I think the the first is that, you know, we we I think we probably could have messaged it a little bit better, I think, to our fans, to our our, our clubhouse. Um, you know, certainly I think there were tough things. Anytime you trade a player, the, the caliber of Josh Hader, um, you know, that's that's going to have a very large ripple effect. You know, that's that's not just a ripple. That's a splash, you know, and, and I think that's especially off of a good team. And so. Um, you know, that being said, I think we're we're in a position where we have to make very tough decisions, you know, in our market. Th- those are the type of decisions we've had to make. Um, and we have we had to do those in Tampa Bay. We, we're, we've done them here um, and we're going to continue to have to do those at some point, you know. But I, I think at the same time, it was on us, I think, to show our fans and show our, our team this year that, you know, that wasn't the direction we were going to go this year. And we wanted to try to add good players to this team. And we were able to do that through the hater trade, but we were also showing our fans and our uh, and our ownership and our our community here, our, our players, that we wanted to try to try to help this team uh, in 2023 at, at the deadline here. And so, look, there I think there are a number of ways we could have improved, uh, and it's a good lesson for all of us for sure. Uh, but I, I think at the end of the day, it's something that we're going to have to continue to explore down the road in order to sustain uh, success that we've had at, uh, to this point. Yeah, you, you know, you kind of lead right into the next question, which is you always, whenever we've talked, Matt, you always talk about the idea of balancing today and tomorrow that you're, you know, every team is trying to do that, but certain marketplaces clearly have to think about it in a different way. And you have three key players uh, who will be in their walk year in 2024, your shortstop, Willie Adamas, and two of your best pitchers, uh, Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. There obviously was a very public, nasty, uh, contentious thing that came out of uh, arbitration with Burns that led to questions, would he be traded? I'm wondering, how do you view this? Those are three, it's your shortstop and number one and two starters. It's hard to get more important than that. And yet you don't want to walk away with nothing, right? Like these are assets to your organization. How do you balance the, we want to win in 2024, but we also want to win in 25 and 26 and 27 when it comes to those three players. Yeah, Joel, I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, I think that is the balance that we have to strike here with this franchise. But right now, honestly, we're focused on winning right now. You know, I mean, that that is the most important thing. And like you said, you're talking about our number one and number two uh, starters and, and our starting shortstop, you know, and those are really good players and, and they're super impactful to this this franchise. Uh, we certainly value them, hopefully appropriately, and and we, we hope that they're here a very long time. So l- l- let me see if I could ask it a different way, because I know you don't want to get ahead of yourself. You've got a division you're trying to win, playoffs, et cetera. Does, does the story, does the work begin now, though, or even pre-now, like where you are talking to ownership about uh, what what's our budget moving forward? You're talking to your group. What do you imagine we could get for these kind of players if we went out in the trade market where they only ha- they'll be expensive plus one year? Is that work beginning now, or do you have to be laser focused on this year? Yeah, I, I think it would probably be both. Honestly, I think we, you know it, it's hard to do both, but I think we're we're focused and like you said, laser focused. I think on winning this year to the extent that we can we can control that. Uh, and also at the same time, of course, we're having discussions about what our uh, our future looks like here. I, th- I think, like you said, it's something that where we have to keep an eye on both the present and the future every day. And so certainly those those the the planning process is certainly underway. Uh, Matt, uh, I, I know you knew we'd get here to a guy who is a free agent at the end of the season. And it's the guy who hired you, David Stearns, uh, who I also know is a good friend friend of yours. Is he coming to the Mets? Yeah, I, 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 what I what I would say is that you know I have no idea. Um, I, I love 
David a ton. Um, I respect, you know, everything that he's accomplished here and and just as a good friend and, and one of the best people you could ever meet, uh, even in or out of baseball, honestly. Um, so I know he's going to be successful wherever he decides to go. Um, you know, if that's with the Mets, then I'm, I'm sure he'll have a great uh, level of success there. But honestly, if he chooses uh, to, to do anything in or out of baseball, I know he's going to he's going to do very well. And so I'm, I'm just pulling for him wherever he ends up. Matt, I, I knew you weren't going to answer that question exactly. So, uh, but you mentioned he'll be successful. I wonder if I could ask it this way: What's the scouting report on David Stearns? You he hired you, you worked from him. I assume there was some mentoring that went on. You learned a lot. As I mentioned, I think you're very close as friends. What what does he? As we think about it, like he's become a myth to some degree in New York, Matt. Like, oh, here comes David Stearns, as if. But like, and then you could ask the fan, well, what is what do you like about the fact that he might come? What wherever he would work next, what should fans like about him? What's the scouting report on an executive David Stearns? Yeah, I mean, I, I what I would say is that the fans should probably think that he's he's not a myth. You know, he's the real deal, and 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 so he really is. He's just a a great person. Um, you know, he he leads by example. He's somebody you want to work with and want to work for. You know, and and he's somebody that. Um, you know, every day challenges you, I think, in productive ways. And and I think he's going to make any any situation better wherever he ends up. Because what 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 is the thing? Intellect, uh energy, uh insight into the game that other people don't have. What 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 does he do well? It's it's probably the, the combination of both EQ and IQ, honestly. Like he has just great feel with people and understanding um and relates to a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And then he's one of the smartest guys in the room at all times. And so it's a really dangerous combination. Yep. Uh you have another guy who's a free agent at the end of this year. And I know when I sat with you in spring training, we talked about Craig Council. I think I said then, and I know I've said it on the show, I think he's the best manager in the sport. Uh, I think he's one of those guys who could take his and beat you and take yours and beat what was his. And he's coming up on free agency as well. And he'll be a very desirable guy out there. What what do you think the future holds for council? Yeah, look, I, I think Craig has earned the right to to have discussions wherever he chooses, you know, and, and uh, you know, I, I hope that's here with with us. And we've had a lot of conversations. Um, and But at the same time, I respect the heck out of whatever he ultimately wants to do because he's got a, a young family. He may want to spend time with them. Uh, he may want to to look elsewhere or continue working here, you know, and, and I, I have a very close relationship with him and his family and uh, respect him immensely. And, and I think I agree with everything you've said. I mean, I, I, he's one of the best people you could ever possibly choose to be uh, in a, in a foxhole with, you know, he's the kind of guy that you want on your side. And so um, I appreciate him so much. Uh, and, you know, I, I hope we work together for a very long time, but I also recognize that he's earned the right to to explore uh, all opportunities, whether that's inside or outside of baseball. You know, uh, Matt, he he is a guy with not just little ties to the organization, right? He grew up not nearby uh, in Wisconsin. I believe his dad worked for the organization uh, uh, back when. Uh, and yet, whenever I've talked to him, I wonder, do, do you get a feel at all that when you work for a place like the Brewers and it works, that there is a little part that says, you know, I wonder what this would look like if I had double the payroll. Like, do you sense that there is ambition there to see, hey, I know 
I could be successful here. What about if I didn't have to decide every year if our best players had to be traded or not? Yeah, look, I, I think I think it, it sort of comes with the territory here, honestly. But at, at the same time, I mean, we've had tremendous support from from our ownership to explore all kinds of different opportunities here. So I, I don't think it's really uh, a resource issue for us, honestly. I think Craig has a, a great uh, situation here, but again, like that, that's it's really up to him whether it's it's what he wants to do with his family, um, what's best for him, and I would support him just as a person first and foremost. Yeah. You know, with Otani becoming a one-way player, at least for next year, maybe the next two years, I wonder if Greg Council is the best free agent on the market this offseason. Let me let me change it to something that's very positive for your present and future. Uh, I hope I'm going to pronounce Jackson Churio's last name correctly. Uh, he's generally viewed as one of the two or three best prospects in the game. I believe you only signed him a couple of years ago out of Venezuela, like in, in 2021. Is he on? I think he's still only 19, uh, like Jackson Holiday, who's generally also viewed in that small group of the best prospects with a chance to play as early. I think Holiday, maybe even the end of this year, but certainly next year. Is he on your radar for next year? And if so, why? What What is it about? Yeah, I think he has put himself on the radar uh, here. And, and you know, it's a huge credit to him and, and what he's been able to accomplish. I mean, look, our, our international scouts deserve a ton of credit for for what they were able to unearth there with with Jackson. And, you know, he's a guy that is incredibly talented. He's He's got all five tools. Um, he can play, you know, anywhere in the outfield. I think he could play in the infield, honestly, if he wanted to. Um, but you know, a, a guy that I think is rocketing through our system. And so we, he certainly has our attention. And, and what's the, does he, is, what's the carrying tool with him? Is there something that excites you more than other things? I mean, be, beyond maybe the sixth tool, which is probably energy, honestly, it's, it's the, you know, it's the power, it's the bat, it's the speed. It's his, you know, it, it's, it's everything about him that, you know, his, his, um, his pedigree is, is top of the top of the charts, you know, and so he's got incredible ceiling, you know, so I'm, I'm super excited to see what he can be uh, in the future for us. You know, I, I'm going to wrap up again by kind of trying to get back to secret sauce a little. I know you don't want to like divulge it. Nobody's listening. You can tell us anything you want, Matt. It's just me and you here. But uh, in the offseason, when people thought about like big free agent signings, Wilson Contreras came up. When they thought of big trades, they thought of, oh, Oakland and Atlanta made a trade and Sean Murphy went from Oakland to Atlanta. You got yourself into that trade. And I dare say that William Contreras might be the MVP of your team this year when you consider what he's brought to both sides of the plate. And I think even a good baseball fan might forget that you were the third team in that trade. Can you take us through, like, was that a trade between two teams and you figured a way into it? Uh, if so, was this a long-term target guy? How how do you end up with a player that good when it feels like you're the other team in a trade? Yeah, I think honestly, it starts with relationships with with those teams, both in Oakland and, and Atlanta, and and then just understanding what the market looked like and trying to you know see if there was a fit for everybody. You know, I think anytime you make a trade, it's it's hopefully beneficial to to everybody. You know, and so. Um, certainly happy with what William has done here and, and Joel Piamps as well uh, came over in that trade. And so just just to have those kind of guys here that have been so impactful to our team, I, I think, uh, you know, Contreras, like you said, you, you could argue he's certainly, you know, our MVP this year. I mean, he has just been incredible. Uh, I don't think we're here without him, honestly. And so he's just uh, I'm super proud of him. And he's he's very young. And, um, you know, our guys, even our, our coaches have talked about just sort of even next year, how good this guy could be. And he's already great. So 
uh, we're excited about the future for him as well. Matt, you know, usually uh, John Heyman is here to save my butt for that question. I always forget that two hours later, I go, how did I not think to ask that? Before I let you go, is there something about the Milwaukee Brewers uh, present moving forward that I missed here that you think is important uh, for, for your organization? No, look, I, I think this team is is ready. I think it's I think this this team is is, you know, we've we've. Like you said, we've been in the playoffs for a number of years, uh, and I think there's a lot of guys here, even though they're young, they do have experience in in postseason games. And so, you know, again, we we have a long way to go. We're not in there yet, but I think if we get in, we have a chance to be uh, be pretty dangerous. So, you know, I, I, I'm I'm certainly proud of our our staff and our coaches and our players of of what they've accomplished. But uh, you know, hopefully, there's a lot more to come. Yeah, I think you're a live wire. I think there's two heavyweights everyone's looking at in the Dodgers and the Braves. But I think the Milwaukee Brewers have shown took you, you you've taken some of these teams deep in the playoffs. You haven't gotten to the final step, but you're uh, you're a team that will be dangerous uh, when you get there. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for joining us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. Uh, we we really do appreciate it. Thank you guys. I appreciate you having me. I want to thank Matt Arnold, the general manager of the Brewers, again, for joining us. Uh, usually uh, there's another one I bounce off of, John. We play hit or error. He's not here. So I'll just do a hit this week uh, to close the show. And I love pennant races. I love playoff chases in September. Uh, if you're fortunate enough to be behind the scenes at a ballpark, uh, you could feel it. You could like when people say, oh, a game in April means as much as a game in September. It means the same statistically, but we know the value of a win today. We don't quite know the value of a win in April and May. And you know who feels that? The players feel it. The coaches feel it. The managers feel it. The fans feel it. It's part of the ambiance of the game is got to win today, looking at the scoreboard, the teams we're chasing and at this point, we have really two very, very fascinating races. The three teams in the AL West who are separated by a game in total, Texas, Houston, Seattle. Uh, you know, the, again, the advantages of being uh, the difference between being uh, a division winner with home field, et cetera, and not the winner of that division is very likely to be the, the two seed in the league. There's advantages to that. And there are six teams within one game of the NL wild card, three in, three kind of have their nose pushed up against the glass trying to get in. Uh, and since none of them are spectacular, uh, you know, I think the Phillies are pretty clearly clear they're going to get in. The Cubs, who are trying to track down Matt Arnold's Brewers, they look pretty comfortably in now. So this is about four other teams at this point, Arizona, Cincinnati, Miami, and San Francisco. None of them are great. But by the way, uh, I don't know that we all thought the Phillies were great at this time last year. They got healthy and uh, really, really hot in October, and they made it to game six of the World Series. You kind of, there's so much value, both financially, spiritually, organizationally, to get into the playoffs. Uh, so it will be really, really fascinating to watch that race down the stretch as those flawed teams try to figure out how to get in. 
We'll obviously be checking that uh, moving forward. John will probably be back with us next week, certainly going forward in the future. Uh, we'll follow the races to the end, the postseason. That's if you stick with uh, you know the show, a podcast from the New York Post. Thanks as always, especially by myself here, how much I appreciate Jake Brown and Andrew Hartz helping me through this. Don't forget that this show drops on the Yes app about noon every Wednesday. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review the show, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Please give us a five-star rating. Please give us a review. We'd like to know what you think of the show. Uh, It does help us. And do join us on the show every week.